0: Welcome back to Anonymous Anonymous, where it ain't that black and white, part two of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Parenting. <laughs> uh, how we do it, can we do it, uh, we fixing things, letting things go, breaking curses,
1: and doing it in a new way, introducing some new practices that we may not have been given, but which we see as valuable and an improvement over perhaps some of the parenting strategies that were adopted. We don't th- want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, uh, okay. but some of that bathwater needs to be thrown out. And okay. so I think we're trying to look at the bathwater uh, <laughs> so and make hurry. a decision, right, about what needs to be thrown out and what doesn't. So um, we're glad that you have joined us for part two. As we continue our conversation with our cousin and sister, that is what I like to say. I'm being a pastor, I call her by sister and brother, but our sister Isis.
0: And so we're going to go ahead and jump in with Joshua. Um, While we were doing our walk last night, he said that there were a couple things that Isis had brought up that really hit home for him But uh, didn't quite say anything, but I would like to start there. We were talking about when Isis was talking about embracing and touching and feeling and hugging and kissing on the babies. It's really easy to do when they're younger, but as they get older, you kind of fall out of practice. Mm -hmm. And Josh, your response to that was...
1: Well, um, many of us are probably familiar now with the term toxic masculinity. And uh, as a male, um, that was raised with a modified version of that. I wouldn't call it, you know, a die-hard, ideologically pure version of toxic masculinity. That would be my grandfather. But my father was a, uh, a subdued and less severe version of that. But it was still there, and it was certainly in the culture at large. And boys and young men were supposed to give up certain practices as they aged. They were to um, stop crying as much. Mm -hmm. They were to avoid overly expressive behaviors that might suggest femininity or any of the other attributions that were thrown their way. And I have battled with that. And something that Isis mentioned um, brought to mind that all of us internalize toxic masculinity. It doesn't matter how you identify in terms of gender, you know, whether it's male or female, you've internalized some version of that because patriarchy gives that message. That's part of the message of patriarchy and white patriarchy, is um, that men and women are supposed to behave in these very prescriptive and predictable ways, and one of the ways that men are supposed to behave is kind of aloof and less emotional, um, less, you know, present in some ways, and that's just the way that men are supposed to be. So it hit home because I've wrestled with that, and even though I like to think that I've taken some strides out of toxic masculinity, I um, I know that some of it has come out in my parenting in subtle ways and not so subtle ways. Can um, you
0: give us an yeah. example?
1: So with our oldest, Elijah, I was uh, his dad and a single parent for a number of years. And so it was just the two of us in the house and at times... Eli would express himself in ways that I was unable to be present for and would, I think, implicitly encourage him to suck it up or it's okay, there's no reason to, to do this, toughen up. And I didn't necessarily use those words, but I think it was implied in some of my behaviors and my exhortations. Um, and to top it all off, The place of privilege that I've occupied my entire life as a cisgendered white heterosexual male has meant that I did not prioritize certain uh, practices for him. I didn't think it was necessary for him to do certain numbers of things because I wasn't worried about it. I would never had to be worried. I didn't know what it was like to worry about um, certain situations because I hadn't been put in those situations. Um, not only did I have both of my parents there, uh, throughout my school years, you know, all the way until I got to college, my parents divorced later when I was 19. And so there were many things that I didn't have to encounter even, and then Eli has had to encounter. Um, but, um, but I didn't, I think, fully prepare him from for some of these situations and part of that was my own blindness or blind spot as it comes to my place of privilege and my gender identification Um, so it's a mixture of things that got brought up when Isis spoke uh, the toxic masculinity that continues to live in me and comes out at different times in my behavior and in my language but also the place of privilege from which I have parented. And some of the things that I've placed value on, not to say they're not valuable, but I've placed value and given time to them at the expense of other things that are also valuable, but which I haven't had to worry about since I am a white man in America.
0: Isis, what do you you think about that? in your role of mother and have you contributed to um toxic masculinity uh have you thought about it has it ever come up
2: Yes, definitely. I've definitely contributed to that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I
0: mean, I'm we definitely all have, guilty.
2: Sure. Yeah. Um Just the other day, you know, the boys are up there wrestling in the game room, and Jovon, this high-pitched scream, ah! I'm like, hey, I'm the only girl in this house. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why are you screaming? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just those, those subtle things that come up. Um, I wouldn't say... There's almost levels to it, if oh, you think yeah. about it you know there's the the innocent little jabs that are just kind of okay you're the boy category but but i don't think i'm the overly aggressive you know hey suck that up right Right. so i would say yes i've definitely contributed in some ways Mm -hmm. um personally i don't feel like it's just overbearing yeah um but yeah um and then you and you recognize them you know because i'll sit back and think you know there i am in my world of just me with all these boys around yeah <laughs> yeah and so i just kind of want them to know that okay in this world you are there's an expectation when you go out and to present your world right, right into the world as a man mm-hmm. yeah and so there's expectations Absolutely. of what the world is going to put on you in that role mm-hmm. um But then there's also things that you want to instill in them that you are a man. Yeah, that's right. So it's the the parenting part of it to prepare them for what the world expects without trying to kind of be overbearing and just have them negate their feelings and their worth and and how they can cope and manage through different situations and emotions because you got to cry, you got to cry. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been one to say, don't cry because you're – a man or right. a boy. Right. And mine is just like, that is why are you crying. Whether <laughs> you right. know what I'm saying? Right. Where they would have been a girl or a boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, why are you crying about that? So we can work through it. But um yeah, that's definitely a, a big huge part of parenting. That's why it's important to kind of be on the same page. Yeah. Me and Adrian, um, you know, I don't wanna put too much of he's right. not here to speak, right. but his mother passed away when he was two. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from a car wreck, and so, um, and then his dad hasn't been in his life for different for a different reason for a long time. Right. So he did. He was raised very differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and has has to do a lot of those things. He had to learn on his own. Learn. Right. Learn. Right. And just kind of be okay with um, raising himself almost. Yeah. And so we'll get into disagreements just about parenting because his style of I didn't have that I didn't have that I want sorry I didn't have that I wanted this for my child I want um, you know to be there be present and this is the only way I know right where, where I'm on the flip side where yeah. well I don't know that <laughs> experience that and right. I'm okay right we <laughs> right. so just coming together to say okay we both had different experiences growing up how can we be on the same page to do this together and not and you know as a united front in front of the kids. That's right. Yeah. And not so much hey you know talking over each other, going around each other's yeah. wishes in front of the kids. That's yeah. Right. So that's that uh, that's a very big part of it to where oh you're coddling them and they run over you and you give them whatever mm-hmm. you always say yes. And my side of it is. Why not? <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, they're still kids. you right. know. Yeah. Uh, right. We have one that just turned 11. No, yeah, 11 this mm-hmm. year in January. Mm-hmm. But to me, he's not quite a preteen yet. He's still kids. Yeah. so...
1: And it's, even... It's okay even, to me. <laughs> and for me, I feel like we all need nurture and grace no matter what age we are. And as a man, I know I need it. And it's really hard, or it has been hard at times, to admit I need touch. I need care. And... I have felt guilty for needing those things and have resisted asking and so how that's manifested as I become grumpy I become tough to be around because I'm not getting those things that every human being needs Mm -hmm. regardless of how you identify Absolutely. and there's a great documentary that Am and I watched I think it's the mask you live in or the mask you live behind highly recommend it it to everybody Mm -hmm. I think it should be like required viewing because It brings in people who grew up with this toxically masculine model, Mm -hmm. including a former NFL uh, player. Yeah. And he said, I was brought up to think this is what a man was, and it couldn't have been further from the truth. Mm. And he ends up coming full circle and saying what being a man is is not different than what being a full human is, which is being responsible, being loving, standing up for what you believe is right and true. These are characteristics of <clears throat> a man and a woman yeah. um, and he challenges and, and, and interviews you know people that are now in prison and they were they were reflecting on some of their violent actions right and, where, as, a and as a result of because they had no outlet yeah. the only acceptable emotion for men is anger yeah we are allowed to be angry we're even expected to be angry and we are permitted to exercise that anger in ways that it, that aren't helpful mm-hmm. and the reason that we always end up in an anger um, is because we aren't given this whole gamut of emotions that humans can experience joy and sadness right. and happiness like um, and by the way because it's not just young boys but girls as well yeah. they're they're denied the opportunity to express certain emotions because those aren't proper right. for a young girl right. so Everybody gets impoverished when we reduce the range of human emotion.
0: Yeah, that that documentary was great cuz it basically showed you the box that girls live in, mm-hmm. the box that boys live in, and then as you grow up, yeah, uh, you have these ideas. So when you have a relationship with someone, it's oh, if a woman gets angry and shows her anger like, Eh-eh. right. like there's something mentally wrong with you mm-hmm. if you're if a woman is angry, but that's accepted for a man to get angry. Right. A woman is... It's okay for a woman to cry. But what if there's a lot of women that don't cry? Like, I am not a big crier. Like, I probably cry throughout the year, maybe once or twice. And it's because maybe so much has been brought up on me. But my mother was a big crier. Mm-hmm. And so I learned from her that it was okay to have these emotions and you know she could cry at the uh drop of a dime and i am so far removed from that because of whatever whatever it did to me inside Mm -hmm. so i am a person that uh like pushes forth through crying like i definitely am guilty of pushing forth toxic masculinity uh to a certain degree as well you know i don't know if any uh american today can say that they haven't contributed Mm -hmm. at all because Mm -hmm. it is a part of our society right uh but i do remember one specific thing with aaron liking to watch um my little pony Mm -hmm. now I think every, we all, all three of us have all boys. Mm -hmm. Uh, So unfortunately we cannot speak on having a little girl because none of us have experienced that (laughs) at all. Uh, Even though we're females here sitting, Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't helped to then nurture another female, but we can talk about our own experiences of being raised and what we remember from our childhood. But Aaron loved My Little Pony. Just like he liked Thomas the Train. Like, it was no different for him. But his father was adamant about him not watching My Little Pony. And I think it was all the way up from, like, maybe between two to, like, five. Mm -hmm. It was something that he knew that he could do with me only. Because his dad was like, that's for girls. Why are you watching ponies? And because... Uh, majority of the characters were females. There was one male pony character whom Aaron could relate because if you look at where his life was kind of at the time, he was surrounded by women. He has his aunt, uh, my aunt Rhonda which is Mamu. He has her three girls. uh he has me, has my grandma his grandmother, mm-hmm. my mother So he is surrounded by girls and he was the closest cousin to him at that time was my little cousin, Sarah, uh, who's, you know, quite older than him, but he didn't have a lot of boys around him. So it wasn't a big deal that he was surrounded by women. He knew he was a male. He knew that his private parts looked different from mommy's private parts, right? Mm -hmm. But the male that was depicted in My Little Pony had a rainbow colored tail.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So like... That's a whole other thing when it comes to masculinity, like yeah. being able to be friends or say that you're okay with someone that believes uh, that that they love the same sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, I know a lot of people are afraid because they think that that will we've been told is it'll rub off on you mm-hmm. if you if you show them you these too myths. much. Uh, if you if a if a kid grows up seeing two men loving each other or two women loving each other then Mm. automatically they're gonna want to be gay Mm -hmm. or lesbian uh if they see someone being transgender that's what they're gonna want to do and i'm pretty sure all the research out there has shown that that's a myth right you know that's not real what that is is fear yep And fear will keep you from living out your truth. So, you know, back to the the matter. Aaron, you know, loved My Little Pony and Mm -hmm. sooner or later he grew out of it. You know, he didn't all of a sudden wanna, not that I think playing with dolls is even a problem. You know, like there are so many things that we have, that have been told to us that are a problem. Mm -hmm. Like boys playing with dolls. Like I didn't like Barbie. I didn't play with Barbie. Mm-hmm. I wanted to play with trucks. Yeah. And I wanted to play with cars. And go figure, I can work on a car. I can get underneath the hood. I can fix some things, tinkle with some things, change out uh, spark plugs, oil. You right. know, I'm not quite strong enough to to do <laughs> some of the things that you need to do uh, with fixing the engine. But, you know, I was a, called a tomboy all my life. And it was, you know, when I got... Here to Houston, uh, I remember a, a friend of mine used to say, "Man, that military really messed you up. It took all your femininity away." Mm-hmm. <laughs> <That's> wow! <funny. laughs> and wow. I was like, "Huh?"
1: Yeah.
0: And I was, I was, I was thinking to myself, "I, I lost that a long time ago. Like, I didn't want- whatever to... you're talking about, right? Never <laughs> yeah. was present." Yeah, and I haven't. You know, I would when I think about going to homecoming in high school. I wanted, I wore some really nice pants and a nice shirt and I had heels on, but I didn't like dresses, Mm, you know, but when I went (laughs) to prom, like I found a dress, Yeah. but when I got married to my husband here, I had on pants, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like I had, it looked like a dress Mm -hmm. and I was showing cleavage. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I am a woman. I'm just, I just, I just don't overexude femininity.
2: So then what, what category do, do I fit in? Right. You know, you know you you spark an interest of mine uh, well I guess more of a statement mm-hmm. I don't like my boys to wear pink and okay. I have no idea where that comes from mm-hmm. there's certain shades of pink that just early on I was like no y'all not gonna wear pink right. and I stay away from it even right. to this day Right. I don't think they've ever owned a pink shirt right. Jalen high school staying with his dad um did he get a salmon shirt? He got a, yeah, was that, yeah. <laughs> and so when he comes back home, and I'm just like, why do you have on that shirt? And he's like, because I like it. And I'm thinking, it's pink. It's not mm. pink, mom, but it's close enough to pink. He That's was like, good. and you know, we had this Big whole deal, conversation right? about how he's like, okay, right. your problem, not right. mine. Right. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's
1: a teaching moment. Yeah. yeah so That's now,
2: good. I honestly, I, I don't have an opinion on it. I don't care anymore. But for a long time, that was one of the things for me. And, you know, you speaking just I love brought that, you that said up. Because I'm like, yeah, I never would let them wear pink. Right. <laughs> I
1: feel like that's that's so important. See, I think part of parenting is learning. It. You know, yeah. What's that? Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, so we just got... We you know. got a donation of clothes. Oh, yeah. I saw Yeah, that. And yeah, yeah. we were sharing, you know, and divvying them out and everything. And there's uh, this just really... It's it's salmon. It's It's a salmon
0: uh, button-up shirt that we put on Luke to see if it fit. And it fit great. And it looks so good on him because it goes well with... I mean, I don't know if there's a skin tone that salmon doesn't look good in. And I will have to say, men in
2: pink are kind of hot. You know what I'm saying? If it's done right. It's a tone of pink. Like, the salmon is good. And that looks good. These bright pinks, I just... Mm -hmm. D- don't I didn't understand didn't it, it, and yeah. I don't. But even in the same, these same outfits that were donated, there's this tone of, of a bluish teal, yeah. kind of mm-hmm. aqua, mm-hmm. and it's actually a pretty color. Mm-hmm. But I still pass it along. I'm like, yeah, my baby's not gonna wear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's good though. That's good that you see. For me, learning from our par- our kids. Is an important part of this new parenting that we promote because I think in generations past.
0: Hashtag end childism.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that's good. That's good. Uh, You know, our kids are teachers. Yes, they require us to teach, show them, guide them, care for them. But they're there to teach us as well, Mm -hmm. and uh, I know that toxic masculinity (coughs) is a religion as much as anything else, and the problematic nature of religion as well as its good side right, is that it happens on an unconscious level. These things become internalized and that's kind of what we're talking about. We're not aware that it's there. We don't know where it comes from Mm -hmm. but it is there and it creeps up and comes out in ways that we couldn't have predicted. Yeah, Uh, And that's what makes it so dangerous. See, that's both the kind of power of religion uh, that makes it for good but also for for, for bad or for in a way that I think tears down society, um, is because the things you can control are one thing, but what about when it's internalized and it's just there operating unconsciously? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do about that stuff? And I think our conversation today is one of the things you can do it's to converse with others about when that came up for them and their problem in finding out like, whoa, where did that come from? I didn't plan on that. That's why do I think that? Mm-hmm. It's really what we talked about in an earlier episode about rethinking our God language. We have to rethink all our language, our language about men and women and God and the world and religion. You know, all of our language, I believe, is inherently religious. And what I mean by that is religious practice is both physical and mental And it deals with things that we can't really name, we aspire to, or we trust in. We certainly internalize. And I think that's what language does. It gets into us, it shapes us, it tells us what to feel, how to feel. Uh, It gives us permission to feel so that the language we're using around our children is going to rub off on them. So the language we use around Luke, the language we use around Eli and Aaron,
0: No!
1: Yeah. it's it's, They're going to not only repeat the words, but they're going to internalize those words in terms of emotional expression. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, again, I always refer to the psychoanalysts that talk about our bodies just being essentially a collection of signifiers. So our emotions, when we come out and start expressing them, um, when we learn language... They become channeled through certain words. We are given a range of emotions that are acceptable, and everything else is considered nasty or unwanted or icky and we stay away from. That's a religious disposition. There's a great book, I think it's called Purity in Danger or something, it's written by Mary Douglas, anthropologist, and she says that's essentially how religious communities form. There's an impure thing you're supposed to stay away from, and then there's practices that help you achieve purity. So this purity impure thing, I think, is really fundamental to a lot of our behaviors as humans. Mm -hmm. And it's what shapes us. And I think our language around masculinity and what's acceptable and proper is really the problem. It points to all these other problems we have about what's acceptable, who we are, our identities. So I'll leave it at that. But I just I think touching on masculinity as it relates to our parenting practice means that what we're really doing is saying we got to rethink how we use language, how we talk to our children yeah. about our children yeah and everything
0: yeah childism is real i'm learning that uh again shout out to my sorry sister Janice uh for not only talking and and practicing peaceful parenting uh but helping others also understand what peaceful parenting is which is not hands-off let the kids do whatever they want to but <clears throat> Uh, checking in with them in a way giving them outlets to feel to have emotions Uh, I really like the uh, feelings or emotional wheel that um, I think I shared a long time on Facebook and it came back up uh, you know in our memory section and it was it kind of starts with the bare basic emotions, anger, happiness, joy, sadness and then it like kind of breaks out okay if you're angry are you irritated or frustrated and then it goes from there and breaks it down four more times so you can kind of like get to what's ma- the matter with you, you know, whether it's, you know, working with the kids and the kids start crying. Okay. Well, are these, are you sad? Is that why you're crying? And they're like, no, I'm like, Hey, are you angry? Uh, yeah, I'm angry. Okay. So are you irritated? Or are you frustrated? You know, you know, depending on if they understand these words are definitely your 11, 10, nine, 13 year olds understand this. Luke obviously does not, but uh, we're talking, asking them these questions and be like, oh, no, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated right now because I got to do this work and it's a whole lot of work and I don't want to do it right now. Good. Okay, so your tears come from the frustration of this work that you need to do and what you really want to do is just play because if you're not in a structured form of being in school, you ain't really at school if you're at home, right? So, uh, I think being able to lay out the emotions, treating children, uh, no matter how old they are, because right, they're always going to be our child. Treating children as um, as full human beings that are capable of telling us how they feel, what they think. And us actually believing them, right? Because I think we're all doing something that our parents didn't necessarily do with us. We're actually believing them at a younger age of how they feel.
2: Giving them a voice to even express it. Yeah. Because a lot of times it's, I'm going to hear it, be quiet. I'm talking, you listen to me, what I say. And they'll never get an opportunity to even speak or say a word. Yeah. Because children, I mean, even growing up, you're silenced. Yeah, say nothing. Then nobody asked you to say nothing. Be quiet. Mm-hmm. That's right. So yeah, that's another way of looking at it, and and working, have helping them to work through their emotions so they can express them um, effectively. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so
0: and then yeah. they're not like adults still feeling those same emotions, but can't work through them, and it gives them like a mental block when right. things either don't go their way or the way that they see that it's going to go, I always feel like it's my job as a parent to give you all the things that I learned that were good, things I learned that were bad, and things I've learned as an adult, so maybe you don't run into the same roadblocks that I did when I was an adult. Let me give you the skinny, or let me give you the tea on what it looks like today out in the world. Mm what it looked like when I was going through, because you never know who you're gonna run into and what's going to be their viewpoint. You know, we have all ages in the workforce right now. Uh, We have all ages that are out teaching. So when you run into an older professor, he's going to look at you a certain way. Because a lot of times our thinking, our mind frame, our, our views haven't shifted so far that I'm looking at you today like your teachers in elementary school looked at you they're looking from their viewpoint of the era that they grew up in mm-hmm. and so you know giving them all the nuggets that they need to be resilient to excel to press forward um uh, and and to be able to think through these things you know uh that's what I I really Want to do, and that's why I, I always constantly think about well, is this the right thing to say? When is this the right thing to do? Is uh, consequences there are natural consequences, right? Then there's logical consequences. Uh, and I can keep you safe in my house, and we can do this experiment of life but Mm -hmm. if I never tell you about the consequences that the world are going to give you for being a black male for being a biracial male that's going to look at you like that you black because Pat Mahomes is black at the end of the day uh, regardless of his mama or daddy or white uh, Luke is going to be black Uh, Eli going out he's an Asian man they not going to look at him and say he half white he he presents very Asian and your boy is going out if we don't Allow them to know that safety is here at home. However you feel, whatever you see, the things that you think. As long as we can be respectful of one another, let's talk about those things. But we have to let you know what the world is and how it's like. And it's not like being at home. Because if we give them the safety net, but it has big holes in it because Mm -hmm. they're going to go out to the world, then...
2: They start falling through
1: it's like that in and, and not that, of thing
2: that the safety net is where i struggle mm. because mine are still little they're elementary and i struggle with when they're i struggle with the bullying stuff yeah. because of course we've all worked very closely with kids and other families and you know and we're we're privy to things that are happening yeah. and i've had you know boys and girls club members who have committed suicide yeah. I've had the the attempts yeah. and the scares where I'm calling and talking to parents right. and getting the resources, and so when it comes to mine, my struggle is I have a nine-year-old boy, well eight, nine now, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's coming to me, and he's at home in his environment. And he's telling me that somebody's mistreating him. So it's, it's a struggle of you need to go work through that because this is a family member. You know what I'm yeah. saying? You're safe at home. Work through that here. I want to have mm-hmm. you to navigate it yourself with the other fact that okay he's coming to me as the parent and the protector to yeah. step in and it's like uh That's good. where yeah. right. <laughs> where do you where, do where's, you, the you, where right. where's where's the react what's the right thing because right. there's no book right. yeah what's there's, the right thing to not. do do i say okay um xyz and then step in and help navigate the situation or do i say okay you know you got to go figure that out for yourself and you stand up for yourself or, or you work through that and you you know what i'm saying it's, mm-hmm. it's it's a big struggle wow because i i know kids can internalize that stuff and then go into themselves and their own thoughts and their own yeah well, okay that they shouldn't do anything about it so right. now <laughs> yeah and then you don't know what the experiences are that they're not telling you that
1: brings up two things for me so when Ann was talking I thought how important it is to prepare our children to be in the world but not of the world in other words we're trying to help them not adopt the beliefs and behaviors of a world whose. Concern is the bottom line, is profit. It wants to use people and their bodies to achieve profit. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so when you are in the world, you are a product or a potential product or consumer. You're either consuming or you're producing things to be consumed. So we want to find a way to live in that tension in a constructive way and yet to not deny that the world is in our homes as well these behaviors have been embraced to some extent Mm -hmm. now we can fight against them but they're there in our homes we just talked about earlier about how we that those those beliefs those ways of thinking come out in our lives and of course they come out in the lives of our children They're going to adopt some of those behaviors and we have to mitigate and and speak to those things, like you said, Isis, um, in a way that promotes both independence and advocacy. Handle this yourself because it's a safe space. You can do that. But at the same time, we have to step in and address when there's a clear situation Where there's a practice that we're trying to, that we're up against and we want to root out and speak to directly Mm -hmm. because it's being, it's coming out in our house. And I know that that's the ongoing parenting battle. So those are the two things that struck me with what y'all were talking about Mm -hmm. for sure. Um,
0: So, you know, this is real life and it ain't that black and white never and there are things that we have named and there are things that have no name that we have talked about and we're going to bid everyone adieu thank you for being here with us if you have any thoughts questions concerns please let us know until then this is anonymous on and it ain't that black and white peace